exciting, Jim. But not as we know it. This is big. It is 4 minutes to 10pm on Wednesday the 23rd of November 2022 and you are listening to the Bashcast. Coming up. In this evening's Bashcast, Tom gets kicked by a 17-year-old, goes to the pub and then breaks a rib. The golf model hits an extreme bout of positive variance, but should we give up on the DP World Tour? Uh, Tom goes through why he thinks awarded penalties are a decent bet at 6-4 in any World Cup game. England versus Iran after timing. That's Jude Bellingham, Taremi 2+, and Kane shots on target. And... Who to look out for in the first goalscorer market at the World Cup of awarded penalties 2022. All of that and more coming up in this evening's Bashcast. So, look, uh, heads up on this Bashcast. I might sound a little bit funny, and I might sound breathless, and I'm going to explain why at the beginning. I have sustained, heaven forbid, an injury. Now, heaven forbid, this isn't my first rodeo. I've certainly had my fair share of injuries. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, I was playing football in a vet team and there was a 17-year-old who was making up the numbers and um, he turned me and I tried to tackle him. And I'm if he doubled his age, you would then need to add another 10 years to get to my age. And so when he turned me, of course, I tackled him and I was just just so late. And not, of course, it's not on purpose. I stamped onto the top of his, top of his foot with my studs. You know, I was trying to tackle the ball and I just took the top of his foot off. And um, he screamed wanker very loudly. Never before has anyone correctly sort of assessed my personality so quickly. It was amazing. But then he turned around and out of his fury, just kicked me below the shin. Sort of below the knee, above the shin. Pretty hard. And of course, I don't want to square up to the guy. I don't want to get violent. He's releasing his um, anger. At the same time... You can't just allow someone to kick you. Had to turn into the old dad. Say, young man, I need you to calm down. <laughs> it's just stupid. So I got kicked. And then um, um, I went out for some drinks later on. Um, I was organising my Christmas cottage quiz, which has to be so... It has to be more elaborate than the year before. And given that this is now the 15th year that we've been going to Christmas cottages, it's fairly elaborate. And so my partner in crime, my quiz partner in crime and me went out for a few beers and she was on the cigarettes and I don't really smoke a lot. I used to smoke. I don't like smoking anymore. But if, if, if you're with one other person and they're smoking, I sometimes feel like it's just like a sociable thing to do. And so I had some of the drags of her cigarette and then I went home and then I get into bed and I go to sleep and I feel like because I've had the cigarette I'm not breathing deeply in bed right I'm sort of shallow you know like really shallow breathing and so in the middle of the night I had to get up to go to the toilet because when you're over the age of 32 you frequently have to get up in the middle of the night and go to the toilet and I got up and I think I must have not had a lot of oxygen going to my brain. I will uncouple that with the fact that my knee bloody hurt from being kicked and 
I had done 32 reps of 85 kilogram back squats at CrossFit the day before and damn, my legs weren't working. The combination of all of that, I think I fainted and I fell to the floor. And because I fainted, I didn't put my arms out and I hit the floor chest first and I broke a bloody rib. Or at least I think I broke a rib. Maybe I bruised my ribs, although I have broken a rib before. I broke a rib on the very first time I went skiing. My stupid 18-year-old friend thought it would be hilarious to tell me that the red run on the skiing resort was the beginner's run, of course. The green run is the beginner's run, and then the blue, and then the red, sort of the second to hardest before a black. And so they took it. I didn't know how to break, and so I just went straight, and I went straight and straight and straight, picking up more speed, and then I hit a lip, and I flew into the air. And when I hit the air... When I hit the slope, I hit it chest first. And I, I broke a rib. And I, I remember it being unpleasant. And the two worst things about breaking a rib is that you don't want to sneeze or laugh. Of course, you can sort of control laughing, but sneezing is very hard because you don't want your rib cage to, you know, elevate and extend and then contract. And the whole net result of this story is that I've bloody broken a rib. Or it feel I'm pretty sure I have. They, they don't. They never actually X-ray it at the hospital because they don't. They, there's no difference in treatment between a broken rib and a bruised rib. But um, I'm out of breath, and I'm out of breath because it, it's painful to exhale. And so um, I'm going to sound a bit odd during the bashcast tonight. But I wanted to get through it mainly be, to talk about some World Cup edge stuff. So bear with me. No sympathy. No violins. I do sound like, it sounds like the the sort of last, last meandering tale of an octogenarian. He was a great guy, Tom. What happened to him? Well, he, uh, you know, it was so sad. He just got up in the middle of the night to go to the toilet. He had a pee. He fainted, broke a rib, and that was the end of him. I mean, what's it, what, why is that happening at my age? And couple that with the fact that not tomorrow, but the day after, I'm off to Prague with my wife and my mate, brother-in-law lives out there, Christmas markets are up, zero degrees, it should be lovely, we're going to see a gig on Saturday night, I've got a bloody broken rib and I can't breathe, so that's going to be fun, <laughs> so I'm very short on patience just now, which is why when I was reading my kids' bedtime stories last night, somebody tagged me on Discord, I didn't see it, and they said, um, can, can you have a look at some stale odds on the golf tracker? Now, one, no, because I didn't see the message. Two, no, because it's 9.30 at night and I'm reading my kids' bedtime stories. Three, no, because it's 9.30 at night. Four, no, because I'm grumpy. Five, no, because uh, the stale odds very well could be because we read odds checker for a lot of odds and odds checker are often stale. Six, no, because even if the stale odds are on our side of the fence, a reboot's going to fix them soon and seven no because okay something was stale you went to the bookmaker and you couldn't bet in it it's honestly it's not the end of the world and it kind of have to happens we can try and minimize it but the nature of the game is that there's going to be stale odds sometimes and eight i don't even know where i am and 40a no because we can't be at the beck and call of um discord all the time with the family. It doesn't work with family life balance. So we've put this support ticket thing in place where you submit a ticket. If somebody in IT is around to look at it, it will be looked at immediately. If nobody is around, and by the way, at half nine, ten o'clock at night, there's every chance nobody will be around. And I think that's very reasonable, by the way, not having 24-hour IT support. But um, if nobody is around to look at it, it will be looked at first thing in the morning the next morning. But if you just mention it on Discord and then loads of other people talk, it'll get lost. So by submitting a support ticket, it just gets logged and will be looked at. And perhaps it's still a problem in the morning and it'll be fixed. And if it's not a problem, it won't be a problem. And so I just suggested to the guy, I, I apologized. I'm sorry, I can't look at that. Reading my kids' bedtime stories. Please submit a support ticket. The guy literally laughed, went, lol, 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 lol. Are you kidding me? You need to modernize around here. How much money are you guys bringing in, in subscriptions? What the hell is going on? Um, 
two things. One, the amount of money that we're bringing in subscriptions pretty much almost entirely gets returned to the site in the form of day-to-day uh, -day operations, servers, IT, staff costing for 10-plus members of staff and research and development, okay? Two, even if all of the subs wasn't being returned to the site, I don't see how we would ever have 24-hour-7 support for Discord to look at complex IT solutions at any given moment that anyone wants to look at it. And C, you're gone. Ha! <laughs> you're a guy, he's gone. He's gone. I'd had enough. He got booted. The guy's done. He's out. There wasn't enough respect from this, from this man. So, and that may have been because um, I was in pain. It may have been because Duncan had had enough of him as well. But there is a line that will be drawn. And it's a shame if you get booted because then you can't interact. You can't ask questions to any other members and everything like that. But look, don't give a shit. So that is a quick update of what has been happening. Isn't golf just funny? Golf betting is just weird. It is 100% to do with the time scale about it. If this, if golf was horse racing, you wouldn't notice how weird it was. But it's because it's the one a week or the two a week that it does this. So we were, I mean, I had, I, it wasn't we. I had an email in from someone who was very complimentary saying they were making money on the horses and other things. But they just, um, they just thought, didn't want to do golf anymore because you needed the patience of a saint to do golf. They'd broken even for four or five months in a row. And then we were talking last weekend, or last Bashcast, we had the WW Technology Camp Championship where we'd put up Russell Henley at 45 to 1 as being value. Um, and I wasn't on him. I tried to be on him. I tried to be on golfers in various means, on at DraftKings teams, on to win outright on the exchange, using a theory I have that we're betting on steamers and beating the closing line. And also the each way edge, which is where the original value is calculated from. But I wasn't on him. But okay, that happens. Sometimes I'm not on people. Sometimes I'm on people that I'm not public about. I try not to talk about that because I'm conscious about being accused of aftertiming. Um, we'll come to aftertiming for some of the World Cup stuff for sure, definitely. Anyway, the following week in the PGA... Another winner, this is Tony Finau. Actually, one of these ty rare times where an under 20 to 1 guy was over 110%. Don't see that a lot. Had to go for it. Again, at Skybet. Um, and that was the easiest winner in the whole world. He won by four shots over Tyson Alexander, five shots over ben Penn Taylor, and eight shots ahead of fourth place, Trey Mullinax and Alex Smalley. So he was one of the favourites. He was second or third. I, th I understand Paddy Power shops were giving people difficulty or issues sort of trying to figure out. They want they want ID to pick up £2,000. And they do this through saying it's source of wealth and know your customer, and it isn't. And also, they're not factoring in that you may have put down £800 worth of bets in the last couple of weeks. And... When did we get to a, a, a situation where a week's wages was enough to get identification and KYC and source of wealth people? You know, I mean, £2,000 is going to be net £1,000 up and that is crazy being ID'd for that. And you feel like they're only doing it because they're trying to not pay. In fact, well, you feel like that. They are definitely doing that. And that's where you lose faith in them. Anyway, that's two and two in the PGA. You know, we are, I mean, we are covering 10, 11, 12% of the field. So still, we're, it's like hitting it two consecutive 10 to ones in a row. Maybe eight to ones. The following week in the RSM, we've got um, Adam Svensson at 150 to one. Now, this was an odd tournament. The Houston, I was able to load up on an 18 to one and a 40 to one. A 50 to one who was voided in the end of Grillo. Whereas in the RSM, all the value seemed to be in the outsiders. Harmon, I think, was the favourite, and he was 22-1 to 1 at the favourite. 
But all the value was in the outsiders. So I broke my max eight golfers rule because I just couldn't get enough coverage just using eight golfers. I went for 10 golfers. Seven of them were above 100 to one. The highest price was Adam Svensson at 150 to one at Paddy Power and Betfair Sportsbook, 125 to one at Bet365. Because he was so high EV, 131%, that's max stakes. These are the guys that you want to win. It's nice when Finau wins. But 113% win for show. 131% win for Doe. Because I'm Kelly staking with them. By Kelly staking, I'm not exactly Kelly staking. I'm not following the exact Kelly formula. But I mean that I have a rough... I want to win more with these guys. I want to win more with them each way. I want to win more with them exchange. So it really makes a difference when the Adams Fensons win over the Tony Finnells. And again, I'm only covering 10% of the field. So 10%, it's like a 10 to 1 came in three times in a row. There's my 1,000 to 1 treble, right? And that was PGA, PGA, PGA. And I've now in three weeks... Got an ROI of 382% on golf, which is just silly. And four weeks ago, I got an email from someone saying he was giving up on them. And this is where you feel sorry. You feel sorry for anyone that just didn't hang around. Because it's, when you look at the annual results summary, I've now been tracking golf for eight annual calendar tournaments. By this, I mean 2019, 2020. 2021, 2022, for the PGA and European Tour. This year, I've lumped in the Europe, the DP World, the Asian and the Live as other, right? And in every annual tour, I've made a positive ROI. From the smallest was in 2020, when I only made 2.26% on the PGA. To the highest was the year before on the PGA, which was 77.79%. This has been quite a nuts year. 62% on the PGA, 4% on the DP Asian Live. And I actually have seen some people going, well, I'm not betting on the, the European Tour, the DP World Tour anymore. I don't think that's the right thing to do. I think if you look in previous years, actually, in 2021, the European Tour had a higher ROI than the PGA, 29%. In 2020... The European Tour had a higher ROI than PGA. Um, in 2019, the European Tour had a 27% ROI. So, okay, we've only had four winners from 42 tournaments, 313 bets this year. That's only a 4% ROI. One, 4.72% ROI is still okay. It's still okay, you know? In terms of a £1,000 bank... That, after a year of betting, has turned into a £1,217 bag. Okay, we're not turning the world on fire. But to say that you're stopping betting on the DP World Tour because of that, I don't think... Well, I understand the mathematics and the confidence ranges. There's no difference in the mathematics. So, if there's no difference in the mathematics between the DP World Tour and the PGA then why would you stop betting? Maybe you could argue that the inputs weren't the same. But we're talking about 47 tournaments in the PGA and 42 in the DP World Tour. I don't think the sample size is big enough, especially when you look at previous years, where in both years, 2021, 2020, the European Tour actually had a higher ROI than the PGA Tour. So yeah, it's been a bit of a sucky year. Not much has happened. It's been quite thin. There's been a lot of busts. Nothing's happened in the last three weeks on the DP World Tour whilst I've been on the PGA. I mean, um, I think I had um, the DP World Tour Championship was a full bust. The Ned Bank Golf Open was a single place for Betsy Dehnhut, which is enough for pretty much break-even. The Portugal Masters was a single place for Pukinen and look, these single places often just mean you break even on the tournament, and that's fine. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't. I'm not going to stop betting on the DP World Tour, the European Tour, the Live, the Asian Tour, just because it's a more minor tour and the ROI has been less this year. I think that is just searching for randomness and finding randomness in the pattern. You know what I mean? 
searching for patterns in noise and finding randomness and saying that I'm not going to bet on it because it hasn't happened. Nah, it's not it. So, yeah, I did well on Svensson, actually. I quite enjoyed having Svensson at the exchanges because um, because he was max bet. That actually gave me a little bit of a bumper payday, which I'm able to now use to mess around with the World Cup a little bit more than I have been doing um, recently. Uh, so it sort of gives you a little bit of an impetus. I can inject a World Cup bankroll with some things that I can look at that maybe I don't know what, what, or I didn't know were going to be on the horizon before the World Cup started. But golf is just one of those. We've got no PGA event this weekend. We've got a Asian tour and a DP World Tour. And in the Asian tour, exactly the same thing has happened. I've found a guy, two guys under 20 to 1. One was 108%, one was 114%. That's Cam Davis and Lucas Herbert. And so I'm quite happy and quite excited to see these guys at relatively high EV and low odds. And so I bring them in. And the, this Australian PGA Championship is a weird championship because the first tee is um, 8 p.m. UK time. So it goes through the night. Oh, and Lucas Hurt, sorry, Cam Davis, who is the 12 to 1 guy that I'm on. I'm so rarely on 12 to 1 guys. I mean, in 2022, how many times have, been, have I been on 12 to 1 guys or less? Is he the lowest? He might be. Yeah. No. One other golfer who was John Rahm in the Farmers Insurance right towards the beginning of the year. I was on him at 7 to 1 at 103% EV and he placed... So a little bit of profit at seven to one, but other than that, Herbert at twelve to one. Sorry, Cam Davis at twelve to one is the lowest golfer I've been on all year. And so you really look forward to it. You think he's going to get off to a fly. He's going to dominate the field. Very first hole of seventy-two, eight p.m. at night, double bogey. It's the hope that kills you. You know, you, you think the guy's going to get off to a fly. I'll tell you what, he might as well have his double bogey on the first hole instead of the 72nd hole, I guess. You know what I mean? Um, but um, it's just a little bit of fun there. I think I quite like the timing of it because you got to wake up in the morning and see how you, Lucas did, given that he tees off at two o'clock in the morning. He should be just about finished when we wake up tomorrow. So um, the golf's pretty much coming to an end for 2022. Um, it was a weird year. Um, it was a year where we were pretty successful with a 38% ROI. Made a lot of money on the exchanges, did very well in DraftKings. And still, there was a period of time between maybe April and October where... It felt like nothing was happening. And it was break-even. But it's such a long time to break-even for. that There's so much trust required on it. But there were two extreme sort of cluster moments of the year. January, February, right at the beginning. And November, right at the end. Where all the winners clustered together. And it just feels like you're invincible. I love feeling like we're invincible. But it's very easy to forget these times in the times where it's six months and you're breaking even. So the net result over the year, the PGA was a 62% return on investment, 11 winners from 47 tournaments. The other tours, DP World, Asian Live, was 4%. That's four winners from 42 tournaments. Overall, 15 winners out of 89 tournaments this year, which is one winner every six tournaments. Now, that's a, considering I'm covering one in seven, one in eight of the field, running hot, I would hope to be running better than coverage, of course. Otherwise, where's my plus EV strategy there, you know? But um, I'm going to do a write-up on golf, and it's going to be very similar to last year's write-up. And that is that there were long periods where people thought that this was not a profitable strategy. There were emails received where people said that they were quitting. And when we got to the end of the year, I know we've still got a few more tournaments to go. But if you started January the 1st with £1,000, by the 23rd of November, you would have £4,995.72. And isn't it weird that even turning £1,000 into £4,995.72 
feels painful for quite a lot of people. God damn, just imagine we were following a strategy or a tipster that wasn't winning. How do people get through that? So the World Cup is in full swing. I've got um, Belgium 1, Canada nil. 80 minutes gone in that match in the background, so only about 75 minutes left to go. I thought I would talk about a couple of the edges that we have been looking at early on in the World Cup. So coupons, something that we're not really focused too much on because the World Cup, the games run consecutively, uh, except for the last game of the group stage where they run concurrently in each group but even then it's still two kickoffs at a time and coupons really come into their own when you have a large number of teams uh, changing price at the same time say two o'clock on a Saturday or so on and so ever so the first thing we started to look at was um, value in first goal scorer double delight things like that now I'm kind of convinced that the headline players generally are bad value in the first goal scorer market, not just at the bookmakers, in the exchange as well. I think in any given... If you have a game such as um, Belgium versus Canada, and in this game you have a number of well-known players for Belgium, such as you know Kevin De Bruyne, Batsuai, Hazard, people like that. And I'm having a look at all of their first goal scorer prices, and they're all about a point or more underneath what I make them to be using my pencil mathematics. So I, for example, might have Kevin De Bruyne up at 9.8 and the exchange is 8.4 to back and 8.6 to lay. So that's a value lay, but nobody... Nobody, I don't like. I don't like laying at eight point four. I'm not a huge mugger at one point one two, but I mean, I just don't make any of the prices value. Whereas a lot of the longer priced players or less known players do seem to be value, especially in the underdogs. So Jonathan Davis on the opposition, I made him eleven point two and thirteen point zero was going. Um, on the exchange. So there seemed to be value, but on slightly more outsiders and slightly more obscure people. So the first game comes around, Qatar versus Ecuador. And um, the big guy there is the Valencia striker, sorry, the Ecuadorian striker Valencia, but typically I didn't make him value. I didn't make him value for DDHH. I didn't make him value for first goal scorer either. He gets the first goal in the 16th minute and he gets his double delight in the 31st minute. So I wasn't on him, <laughs> but um, um, he started us off with a 2-0 for Ecuador. I, I kind of skipped the first game, not on purpose, but what do I know? What what did I think was going to happen with Ecuador versus Qatar? I was having big Sunday lunch. I'd prepared this Sunday lunch since Friday morning. Like it was um, a test lunch for my christmas dinner that i'm cooking on the day before boxing day this year so um i sort of had it on in the background but i didn't wasn't having a look at the markets but the first thing that was very very interesting about this game was there were six minutes of injury time in the second half seven minutes and yet the commentators were saying well they didn't notice that there'd been that much stoppages in the second half so where did the seven minutes of injury time come from so that was notable. And then we went into day two. And day two was England-Iran, Senegal-Netherlands, USA-Wales, and Argentina-Saudi Arabia. Sorry, so Argentina-Saudi Arabia was the beginning of day three. So it was England-Iran, Senegal-Netherlands, USA-Wales. England-Iran was a game that just everything went right. Now, I know Skybet pushed out a shots on target boost they said he was was at 1.18 or 1.16, which would be 1 to 6, pushed out to 2.0. And I think Bet365 did as well, which meant that there was value on the exchange where the exchange was had more 
layers in it than it did backers and therefore a biased exchange was created and 1.5 could be backed now you could have backed 1.5 cane over uh 0.5 shots on target and at a, a bookmaker you could have backed four to one under 0.5 shots on target right so what is that in english 5.0, 1.56, turn them both into big old reciprocals. I mean, you're talking about 20% Dutch there. It's unreal. So there was just huge value there. Um, I also have my player XG model. Believe it or not, the two guys I found value in this tournament, in this particular game, the first one was Taremi. I had two plus down at 70.2. And 100 to 1 was available for him. This is the uh, Ar Ar Iranis, Iranis, Irani um, striker, Taremi. And I also had just a single uh, first goal scorer in the exchange. I had Jude Bellingham. If I scroll down on my exchange, where was old Judy Jude? Hey, Jude. Yeah, I had Jude Bellingham, 17.0. I made him 14.8 first goal scorer. So this is the thing. Um, we had we ended up going for Kane, double delight, hatch Kevin. He was value for that, but I didn't make him value on the exchange. Um, Jude Bellingham, first goal scorer. So the two that I made, yeah, sort of the three goal scorers, Kane, double delight, Hatrick Kevin, Jude Bellingham, first goal scorer, Taremi uh, at 100 to 1 to get two plus goals. Um, and it was one of those outrageous matches England ran. So it was 6-2. Bellingham did get the first goal. Saka got a couple. Sterling got one. Rashford got one. Grealish got one. Taremi got two in the second half. 65th and the 103rd minute. And so the 100-1 to one came in there. I sort of saw a couple of groans about <clears throat> the shots on target bet losing. Somebody saying, it's just variance. By putting it in that in inverted commas, I think the suggestion there is that it isn't just variance. But I mean, we can't just sarcastically say it's just variance when the 1-2 to two loses, when the 100-1 to one wins. I mean, it's just be, if we're just going to select all of the losers and then just jokingly say, well, it's not right because they lost, and we ignore all the winners, that just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like looking at the big picture, whether you're on it or not. I mean, I know more people were on Kane because it was available at the exchange. It made it easy to get on. But you get me. There was a lot of other exchange value that I was looking around for this game. I was on um, England and to win and over 3.5 goals at 6.0. England to win and over 4.5 goals at 13.5. I wasn't on England to win and over 7.5 goals. I wish I was. Um, England to win both halves at 4.1 <coughs> fair odds were all the way down at 3.6 there because um, it was biased because lots of people were boosting England to win both halves in that game I was also on okay I wasn't only just on the winners I was also on draw at half time um uh, uh, sorry, draw at full time and both teams to score. So one, one, two, two, three, three, four, four, which I made big value, um, and that didn't come in. So you know, I wasn't just on the winners, but I mean, I cleaned up pretty much on that match with Bellingham, with England at over three point five, England at over four point five, win both halves. Just everything came in. It was going to be okay. Kane didn't come in, but um, it was a decent match to get us off there. And how many minutes stoppage time were there in that game? I think it was 14 minutes in the first half, 15 minutes in the second half. I'm not joking, right? And so we started to notice a couple of things. There seems to have been an instructional change to referees on the amount of stoppage time. There also seems to have been an instructional change to referees about the pulling and pushing an incident in the box everybody drink and giving um the benefit of the doubt to attacking teams and so after the second day the play that we saw was that we want to focus on double delight hat trick having slightly 
less known players. But also, I think we need to keep our eye out on penalties because penalties were starting off at about 3.0 in low-scoring games, 2.875 in high-scoring games, you know, um, what, 15 to 8. And that's available in the exchange. And it's available at the bookmaker because the exchange tends to follow the bookmaker um, when a certain price is on. I mean, they're, they're interlinked. A lot of the exchange prices are just arbors or people trying to get rid of liquidity, you know. There's not that many value betters other than me and... You know, the bookie bashes and some other value bettors out there, but there's a lot of people that are just offloading liability. So we've had by tonight 12 matches. Of those 12 matches, Qatar, Ecuador, Valencia had a penalty in the 16th minute. Now bear in mind there should only be a penalty every three games, right? Next match, England around. Taremi had a penalty in the 103rd minute. How many times are there 103 minutes in a game? The, the fact that there is 103 minutes in the game is allowing there to be more opportunity for penalties. And then the fact that the referee instruction seems to have changed as well. Senegal, Netherlands, no penalty. USA, Wales, Bale got a penalty in the 82nd minute. Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Messi got a penalty in the 10th minute. Denmark, Tunisia, no penalty. Mexico, Poland. Louis got a penalty in the 58th minute. A couple of games without one. France and Morocco. And then today, Germany, Japan, Spain, Costa Rica, Belgium, Canada. All first half penalties. Gundogan in the 33rd minute. Torres in the 31st minute. And Canada's Davis in the 11th minute. That's eight games with penalties out of 12. Now, if the true realistic odds of a penalty in a match are 15 to 8 as they were pre-tournament... How many times would eight matches have had a penalty in it out of 12 with odds of 15 to 8? Running a Monte Carlo on that, we see that 2.5% of the time we would see eight penalties or more. Right? So one of two things is happening. The penalties distribution has started off at the beginning 12 matches running at a 1 in 40 sequence of events of unlikely things to have happened but you could say well that is just noise and there's no signal there but then couple that with that we have a thesis here we have an explanation for why it could be happening the explanation being the two extra facts that there are structural changes to the instructions to referees about certain situations within the box and VAR and things like that. And also there are more action minutes being played in the game. We think that personally, and I've spoken to a couple of sharper people, I think it's possible that penalties should be odds on at this moment in time. They should be odds on. That's what we think. And yet we're still, today, I think um, we had a look first thing this morning. We compared the two shops together. We compared Betfred and we compared William Hill because the strategy was going to be that we were going to go to the shops and we were going to go and place singles on the exchanges and then we were going to place a sequence of doubles, trebles and quadruples at the bookmaker. The singles at the bookmaker slightly pointless because... Um, you're not, you, you can get more value on at the exchange. But then if we are talking value, we can compound it and we can bet to slightly higher liquidity um, at the bookmakers because the liquidity, especially in places like Smarkets, on penalty to be scored. I mean, there was a £1,000 traded in total on the penalty to be scored market. So William Hill, you could get this morning 2.5, 2.5, 2.5 and 2.63 in the four matches. Uh, at Fred, you could get 2.9, 2.7, 2.63, and 2.9. I mean, generally, Fred's prices were pretty close to the exchange prices. So there's no real difference in getting the exchange prices over Fred. Yeah, there is with William Hill. But you can compound Fred's prices. And if we think that these should be on, uh, odds on, what is the EV of a lucky 15 when we think that the... Prices are odds on and we're getting 2.9, 2.7, 2.63 and 2.9. Well, I'll tell you what the EV is. <laughs> if I log into the systems bet calculator, let me do that. 
The system's calculator will tell us the EV, but it's huge. So let's say we're placing a 10 pound lucky 15, just as maybe, you know, be a little bit under the radar. Let's not go too huge. We've got four selections, 10 pounds, not each way, of course, 2.9, 2.7, 2.63, 2.9. And let's generously say that the fair odds are 1.99, 1.99, 1.99, 1.99, right? So the four games coming in would have returned £2,032 from that 150 The EV would have been 368 quid. And I think that could be quite realistic. That's a £10 lucky 15 possibly bringing in £368 worth of EV. As it was, there was no penalty in the first game today, the Germany game. There was a penalty in the rest of them, so the £10 lucky 15 returns £513.81. I mean, that's if we're right. We could be wrong. You know, this is us against the market makers, and we've got every market maker in the world going on the exchanges up at 2.7. You've got the bookmakers themselves. So with the sample size of games, we can't prove it. One thing we know is that the bookmakers are starting to bring their odds down. William Hill were 2.2 on the Germany game just before kickoff. I don't know if people were smashing it in or what was happening, but um, um, I think we're going to be hitting these as long as they're over 2.2. I think 11 to 8 is probably what we'll go down to. Just to give ourselves a safety net in case it's not odds on. But I don't know how many people are talking about this. But penalties in the World Cup, especially at the beginning with these structural changes, seems to be worth looking at. Anyway, after Qatar-Ecuador, I'm just going to have a look at the goal scores. We had Senegal-Netherlands. There was no goal in that until the 84th minute. And then Gapco scored for the Netherlands. Um, in the USA versus Wales, um, I think I was all over Bale, but and he got the second goal in that match. Weir, George Weir's son, the uh, Liberian president's son, scored in the first minute. You didn't, we didn't want, to, we didn't want. It was like anyone but Messi or Martinez for first goal scorer. Messi was value a few days ago for double delight. Didn't make him value coming up to the game again. I think the first goal scorer odds on the exchanges are just so low, which does actually make these look value. But I th I don't think they're as low as these. I think Messi's way too low. He was down at 3.5 and I was making him 4.0. Well, he did score first. He got the penalty. Amazing match. Saudi Arabia came back. Al-Dawasari with an absolute screamer. And what a turnaround that was. Saudi Arabia matched at 1,000. I wouldn't have touched them at 1,000. But yeah, they won that 2-1. That was exciting to watch that game. This is one of the fun things about the World Cup. I am actually genuinely enjoying sort of getting back from the school run at 9.15. I've got 45 minutes until the first match. Every match is lasting two and a half hours and there's only then a half an hour break until the next match. You've got a game at 10 o'clock and a game at 1 o'clock and a game at 4 o'clock and a game at 7 o'clock. And you're just betting, 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 betting. And I'm mostly looking at win both halves. I'm looking at... Um, Team to score goals, score both halves. First goal scorer to score two plus, to score three plus, those kinds of things. Double delight, hat trick, heaven. Penalty in match, pretty much in every match just now, you know? Um, and it just keeps you busy. I'm almost a little bit sad when I have to sort of disappear at five o'clock to go and pick the kids up because that, that, that ends the focus. But I love being as busy as we are being recently. One of the things I want to do in the player XG, though, is that because the first goal scorer on the exchange is just consistently lower than what I make it on player XG. For the favourites, for the Messies, I make four. The exchange is saying 3.5. And I'm, I'm sort of basing my assertions off anytime goal scorer input, but perhaps that first goal scorer on the exchange, you do want to believe it. I personally think it's very recreational. What I want to do with the player XG is import that bet fair first goal scorer price if you want to use that instead of mine and then base your two plus three plus and uh ddhh off that market actually two plus three plus wouldn't be affected but ddhh would mexico poland nobody scored nil nil and denmark tunisia nobody scored nil nil i'm on a lucky 15 for top team goal scorer before the tournament started and it was christian Eriksen to be top goal scorer for, in denmark that was the first one, four to one. 
I don't mind that Denmark have no goals so far. He's on penalties. They should have had a penalty in the game. He had a couple of chances. And perhaps two of Tunisia, France and Australia will go through. Denmark will go out scoring one or two goals. And Christian Eriksen is, you know, one of them. So he'll get top scorer or joint top scorer. That was the first one. Guess who my second one was? And this is before Benzema. My second one was Giroud at 14-1 to 1 to be top goal scorer for France. So we were dancing in the streets when um, Benzema got injured. I mean, I don't want to celebrate injuries. But really, when you're backing a striker who's not predicted to start to be top goal scorer at 14-1 to 1, and then the main goal scorer doesn't start, you have to be slightly gleeful. So my lucky 15 returns £155,000. And Giroud is my French selection. Well, in the French match, Rabiot in the 27th minute. Oh, it was Goodwin in Australia. And by the way, Goodwin was value. Goodwin was value, first goal scorer. This is where we've got to be looking at the underdogs in these games. Their strikers tend to be more value than the headline Giroud's and Bappies. So Goodwin scored first and then France got four. Giroud got two of those to be tournament top goal scorer and French top goal scorer so far. All eyes on Olivier Giroud. So that's two of my four. Then we had Germany, Japan, Gundogan on penalties, 33 minutes. Doan and Asano for Japan. Well done, Japan. Spain 7, Costa Rica 0. Um, didn't see any value at all in this game for first goal scorer. Olmo got it. All, I was trying to figure out who was on penalties. Um, Torres is on penalties, of course. Olmo, Asensio, Torres, Gave, Sola, Morata all got goals in that match. Costa Rica just got thumped. Morocco nil, Croatia nil. I was on a couple of the Moroccan strikers for first goal scorer. Nothing in that match. And Belgium, Canada. I was on Davis for Canada. And um, Canada had a penalty. It wasn't Davis that um, was taking it. Oh, no, sorry. Davis did take it, but I was on David, the other Canadian striker that didn't take the penalties. He had enough chances... He was 9-1 to DDHH, 12.0 um, on the exchanges. I made him down at about 10.0. I made that pretty much, you know, neutral odds on the DDHH. But anyway, he didn't get it, but Bat Batman did on the 44th minute. So, the first goal scorer, Jude Bellingham, brought some profit in and then a flatline since then. But I'm very happy with the bets that I've been on. And I can tell that I know, I'm pretty confident I know where the value is on first goal scorer. Uh, two plus looks good. Again, your Canes, your Mbappes, your Griezmanns, your Lewandowskis, they're never value for two plus and three plus. Your Taremis for Iran. That's where we're looking, mate. You know, and I think it's mainly because. When recreational money comes in for these obvious players, bookmakers don't have to offer good prices for them. And when good when bookmakers don't offer good prices for people, the exchange follows suit and there's value nowhere. And then you have someone like Taremi for Iran. Nobody's betting on him to have two goals against England. Do you know what I mean? So um, those are the edges I'm going to be looking at moving forward. It's going to be mostly... First goal scorer, 2 plus, 3 plus, DDHH. And the penalties. I don't see the penalties making it to the end of the tournament if they continue at the same rate that they have been at. They're not going to be above evens at the end of the group stages or even at the third round of the group stages. So my advice would be, make hay whilst the sun shines. By the time you wonder and think whether it was a good idea or not, Days will have gone by, the markets will have caught up, and the edge may have been gone. So, hey, all fun and games. Oh, who are my other two um, lucky 15 selections? You didn't ask, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Uh, they are playing tomorrow. So I need to bring up tomorrow's games to remember who they are. <laughs> they are the Uruguayan centre, Valverdirdi Dirty. Now, Valverdirdi Dirty plays on the right wing. Sometimes plays right back, I think. Um, he was 14 to 1 as well, same as Giroud. But unlike Giroud was 14 to 1 because it was expected he was going to be starting on the bench and Benzema was going to be playing all the minutes. So we got lucky with him. Valverde, dirty, dirty, dirty. 
is expected to play, but he only got two goals in qualifying. So what we're hoping with Uruguay uh, is we're hoping that two teams go through from Group H that aren't Uruguay, which means either Portugal, Ghana or South Korea, because we want Valverde Dirty to get his one or two goals from his set pieces and then... You know, Suarez gets one other goal, or Costa gets one other goal, and that's Uruguay out of the tournament. Then we have to solve a problem with the last one of our lucky 15s, a problem called João Felix for Portugal. Now, João Felix isn't going to start, uh, and this is our issue. I can't remember the price we got. I mean, it might have been 10 to 1. He gets goals, but he's not predicted to start. So how are we going to get João Felix to be top scorer? We're going to have to have an injury. You know, I don't want to celebrate it. But if there's an injury in the first game, I'm not going to be complaining too much. Or we're going to have to see nil-nils and him come on and get a goal as a super sub. So of the four in my lucky 15, Joe Felix is my worry man. But I certainly am happy with Eriksen. I couldn't be happy with Giroud because he's now 7-4, to four, down from 14-1 to one for top French goal scorer. Valverde Dirty is just what he is. We'll see what happens against South Korea tomorrow. Maybe South Korea will win. That'll be interesting. And then we have to talk and solve a problem with João Felix, which I haven't quite got my head around how we're going to do that yet. But maybe Portugal go on a long run in this tournament. And that could also benefit us because that will just increase the playing opportunities that João Felix has, especially if he's maybe able to rack up a couple of extra times later on in the tournament you know maybe a later an extra time in round 16 an extra time in the quarterfinals and that might be enough to rack up Joao Felix's minutes if he's coming on at half time or in the 60th minute and he's starting to play 60 minutes a game in the knockout rounds do you know what I mean there's 115,000 pounds on the line here and if it comes in we're all going to Disneyland it's on me Whatever it is that you're betting on this World Cup, do make sure those penalties are value. This is Tom signing out. <laughs>